0: Hey, I just wanna say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you wanna hear more, you can find us on Facebook, or YouTube. But ultimately, you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. Hey everyone, my name is Scott, and I just want to welcome you to our message today. I I'm one of the pastors here. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Christian Life Church. And today we are looking at the book of Jude. I'm going through a series called Cover to Cover. And uh, we are just about done. Jude is the second last book of the Bible. Next week we have Revelation. And uh, yeah, it's it's been quite a journey going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we're looking right near the end of it now. And uh, some of you may or may not remember, but Jude is actually the last book that we looked at before we jumped into this series. So way back in, uh, in 2021, in like the spring, we were doing a three week series on Jude and then we went right into this series. So today, today as we look at this book, I just, um, I wanna give some context for who Jude is and what was. So Jude, some of you may not know this, but he was actually likely the half-brother of Jesus. His parents were probably Mary and Joseph. So he knew Jesus for his whole life, but he didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah until after Jesus died and he resurrected again. Another thing that we believe about Jude was that probably Jude is like a, an anglicized version of his name. His name was probably more like Judas. And English scholars actually kind of translated his name just to make it like a little easier for English readers to not associate him with Judas Iscariot, the, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. And so, we have this figure who didn't believe in Jesus, was probably a skeptic around it. And then he begins to believe in Jesus after the ascension. And so all of a sudden he's, he's out and he's traveling as a missionary around the world, going and spreading the good news of his half brother, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And as he does that, he's carrying this name Judas in just a stark contrast to the unfaithfulness of the disciple he is now standing as faithful, and he writes this letter. We're not sure which church he was writing to, but it doesn't really seem to matter because I think this letter is really universal. And it's a short letter, just a single chapter, unlike a lot of the other letters in the New Testament. And I, th- I think it has this one theme that is really important in the New Testament. It carries all throughout the New Testament, arguably through the Bible. But in the New Testament, we see Jesus talk about it. We see Paul talk about it. We see Peter talk about it. And now Jude, right at the end, is kind of bringing it up again. And I think that when something shows up in scripture multiple times, it starts to look like a theme. And the themes of the Bible are really important. So let's just jump right into what Jude says here. In verses three and four, he says, "Dear friends." I'd been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord jesus christ you can feel some of jude's urgency as he wrote this book it kind of feels like he was sitting down to write this letter and he's like you know what i just i want to encourage this church let's talk about the common salvation i'll share how celebrate that how great it is that through jesus we can all be saved And it seems like the Holy Spirit or something that he saw in that church just led him to feel he needed to write this letter to be able to give this urgent warning to this church Well, people who had come into the church, who were teaching false doctrine, who were seeking to destroy God's work. And Jude gives them this short, punchy, direct warning, saying, like, don't fall into this. Defend the faith. Some of you, when you hear the phrase, defend the faith, you might think, oh, like, apologetics. I love apologetics. And apologetics, if you're not familiar with that word, it's just like, it's defending the Christian faith with logic and reasoning and uh, through science sometimes and through philosophy sometimes. And it's it's showing that following Jesus can actually make sense. It can make common sense. And it can even make... Uh, like a deeper level of sense at a philosophical level. And there's people who are brilliant, who do amazing work in that area. I remember the first time I read Reason for God by Tim Keller, it just like blew my mind that there could be so much logic to following Jesus, that it could make so much sense. That's not really what we're talking about today. We're not talking about defending the faith in the court of science or public opinion or philosophy. We're talking about defending the faith that we all carry. It's kind of like your faith is a precious jewel in your life and you would do anything to protect it. You wanna keep it secure. And so Jude is giving this warning right at the last moment of writing this letter. Jude, for some reason, he wrote this because he could see a clear threat. Once again, there's people coming into the church who are trying to lead the church astray. They're teaching false doctrine, they're living immoral lives, and they're trying to pervert the grace of God into something that's actually more like a license to sin. They're they're saying the old classic, like, oh, we can do whatever we want because we have grace. Grace will cover us. It doesn't really matter if we sin, but we know that's not true. That's not what God expects of us. He expects so much more. There's such a higher calling as a believer. And here's an idea that I've been toying with. We could talk about false teachers today. And that's that's originally kind of the message that I wrote. I, I was gonna talk about false teachers and how do we like spot them in the church and how do we, um, how do we stand our guard against them and uh, some of the nuances of what makes a false teacher. What I really wanna talk about today is this. I wanna personalize this. Because I think the false teacher can kind of seem like a a lofty idea of people coming into the church or um people who broadcast their messages and uh they teach false doctrine and for sure we need to be on guard against that for sure we need to be discerning when we listen to people um when people start to talk and they don't necessarily line up with scripture we need to take note and uh and pay attention to what it is that they might be trying to turn us towards that's away from the gospel. But my question is this, is it possible that at any time, one of us could be the people in the church who are being led astray or leading others astray? That might sound kind of challenging that we might be the people who are the false teachers of the church, who are believing false things and who are giving ourselves a license to sin. But hear me out. Let's say, on average, the average person viewing this accepts Jesus as Lord at 20 years old. And on average, we live to like, let's say 80, So that's 60 years in your life of following Jesus. Over those 60 years, you're going to change. You're going to change a lot. You're going to experience wins and losses. You're going to be tempted by different things at different stages of your life. You're going to see people pass on. You're going to feel betrayed. Your politics are going to change. Your circumstances are going to change. And you're going to feel like a completely different person through stages of your life. How many of you who are like 30 and older, look at who you were at 18 and think like, man, I was so different back then. It's like I was a different person. Because we change over time. People are dynamic. We don't stay the same. A lot of things stay the same with us. Our mannerisms, um, some of our habits, some of our worldviews. We can never change our history and our background, but We can we can change what we believe and we can change what we prioritize. People change and An example to kind of ground this maybe take your diet. Everybody has a diet. Um, We all eat food every day and Your diet might be really really healthy or maybe really really unhealthy or might just be what you can afford. Or maybe it changed because of a certain health outcome and now you have a very specialized diet that you require. Some of us have a diet that we grew up with and we never really want to change past that. Some of us, um, our beliefs change about food and our habits change. And as we grow up, we start finally eating more vegetables or whatever. And food doesn't really change that much, but our relationships to it does. My relationship with food changed quite a bit in 2020. Uh, I Right before the pandemic, I decided to stop eating meat. I'd wanted to do this for a while. I had thought about it quite a bit, but I never really had the motivation to actually do it. And then like a lot of people who become vegans or vegetarians, I watched a documentary and I was finally convinced like, you know what, maybe this is actually the time to do this. I, I just was a little bit unsatisfied with where I was, um, health-wise and I just wanted a better outcome so I stopped eating meat entirely I actually went almost completely plant-based there's just a few things that I kind of allowed myself to sneak in um, and for me that was great I loved it I, I discovered a bunch of new foods that I enjoyed I discovered new recipes and I uh, honestly I was saving money and the more I got into eating this way, the more I wanted to tell other people about it. And the more I, I just wanted to know about it for myself. So I start, I started listening to different podcasts and I started watching more documentaries and reading a couple books and uh, just learning about this diet and this lifestyle of not eating meat. And it, it reinforced this way of looking at food. And I kind of had all the talking points down. And eventually I got my dad to watch this documentary and he basically went vegan for the better part of a year. I got my brother and sister-in-law to stop eating meat for like a month, maybe a little more. And I just kept talking about this and all of its benefits. And honestly, I'm still kind of convinced that might be the best way for me to eat. I don't eat that way anymore. Um, I do eat less meat in my diet. But when you have a really long relationship with something, this is my point, when you have a really long relationship with something like your diet, that's gonna be something for you for your whole life, or a marriage, which could be the majority of your life if you get married young enough, or your faith, which I believe really starts from when we begin to be like conscious humans to when we die. We're going to have some kind of relationship with faith and with religion. It's just, it's such like a integral part of being a person that we we look for things beyond ourselves. And so when you have a relationship that's going to be that long with anything, your perspectives on it are going to change over the course of your life. And I'm not saying that necessarily that um, if you're a Christian, like there's no way that you're going to be a Christian for your whole life. You might have been raised that way from a child. And I know a lot of people who have who have carried that to the end of their life, but their perspectives change. They don't look at Christianity the same from when they were four years old to when they're 84 years old. Their relationship with God is gonna, it's gonna change and be different and look different over that time. And so all of us have this faith journey God, he remains the same. The gospel, it remains the same. But how we think about that, how we value that, how we prioritize that in our lives is gonna change. And hopefully, the majority of the time, that means you're diving deeper into truth and you're falling more in love with God and with the truth and with his word. But maybe you start to hold on to something that isn't true. Maybe you experience some disappointment. Maybe, your circumstances change and your relationship with God also changes with it. And maybe that change is something you find really exciting. It might not be quite right, but you're excited about it at the time. And you're, you're convinced that it's right. And you find people who support that decision and that that perspective and you start to go and tell other people about this new found perspective that you have. And all of a sudden, Maybe you're kind of the person who's being led astray and who begins to actually lead others astray. And I I don't say that to scare you that like, oh, a bunch of you are gonna become false teachers. Um, I I don't mean this in any kind of uh, condemning way, but I wanna serve this as a reminder that what Jude was writing was true You need to defend your faith. We all need to defend our faith. We need to keep it true and holy and pure. And hopefully we're never the ones who are leading others astray. But I say that to remind you all that it might not be so obvious as big flashy prosperity gospel preachers on TV or people who are clearly muddling in the abuse of scripture. We need to defend our faith from anything that might make it less than what Jesus intended it to be. Over the course of your life, you're always gonna find that there are things that are going to try to oppose your faith that are trying to distort it, but we must remain strong defending our faith from any opposition, including false teachers who will lead us astray. And Jude reminds us that there's a time and a place for the aggressive protection of the truth from those who would seek to tear it down. So our question today is how do we stay faithful to God for a lifetime? How do we hold on to truth for a lifetime? And let's start our answers to that question with another question. Why does the Bible talk so much about false teachers? Is it because they were so rampant in those days and, and they just couldn't get rid of them? Kind of, yeah. But also because the authors of the Bible, I think had had some foresight and God certainly had some foresight knowing like this is always going to be a problem in the church. There are always going to be people who look and see an institution and a, a group of people, a community of people who are gathered together for one cause and they're going to want to go in and take advantage. But I think he also knew that there's always going to be lies all around us. The world lies to us. Our, our own flesh lies to us. The devil lies to us. And, and we are going to have to deal with an, just an overwhelming amount, when you think about it, in the course of your life, of things that aren't true, that are going to try to distort the gospel, that are going to try to distort our view of God. And we need to remain strong. We need to stand firm in our faith and defend it. And, and the interesting thing about a lot of these is that they don't come all of a sudden. If you hear something that's just outright untrue, it's pretty easy to say, like, that's not true. I don't believe that. Um, but a lot of times it happens a lot more subtly. I, I had a friend who was a part of a Christian cult for a few years, several years, actually. And talking to them about their story, it was it was interesting it wasn't like it happened all at once they didn't hear somebody just spouting off crazy things and go like that's that's what i want that's for me no it was it was a really earnest beginning they went and it it just felt like a church and a faith community that felt authentic and a little bit different but good and there was truth there but over the course of time they realized like you know we actually have slowly been kind of going in this direction and we're not really where we want to be anymore and so they left but this happened over like the, a decade it it wasn't a a quick thing where they just jumped in and all of a sudden like i'm in a cult it was like eventually people had to come around and tell them like these are the things that are wrong these are the things we see and we're concerned about you and finally they're able to break out and 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 it it just it doesn't look as quick as we might think and we have to stand on guard from false teachers because they don't generally just come out as false they start good and then they experience a little bit of power or they experience some better financial success and all of a sudden they're the ones who are trying to lead people astray who are trying to give more money or who are trying to give them more power in their lives these people are dangerous because they drive the church away from their main task matthew 23 verse 23 says woe to you teachers of the law and pharisees you hypocrites you give a tenth of your spices mint dill and cumin but you've neglected the more important matters of the law justice mercy and faithfulness you practice the latter without neglecting the former sorry you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former so jesus this starts pretty tame saying like hey you're tithing it's fine you give a tenth of everything you have but you're actually neglecting what really matters. You're not practicing justice and mercy and faithfulness. The church should be doing all of these things. These should be the priorities of the church. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are prophets reminding the people of God, like this is what God wants from you. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's the great requirement of Micah 6 verse 8. And some of these false teachers, they don't care at all about that kind of thing. They are in it for selfish purposes. They're more focused on their needs and desires being met than God's requirements. And lastly, I I think the Bible cares so much about false teachers because it understands that people are going to get caught up in it. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4 says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So we see why people follow them. People like all of us on our faith journey, we, we might get tired of trying to keep up with what the Bible tells us to do. We might we might feel overwhelmed or we might want something different for our lives. And all of a sudden we we have these itching ears who want to hear something different. And we go out and find that person who's telling us what we want to hear. We stop caring so much about what the truth of what God wants us to know and hear. And we go inwards and we, we go selfish and we look for somebody to tell us that's okay. And that's easier than ever now. With a quick Google or YouTube search, you can go and you can find anything that's gonna back up what you want to know. So how do we spot a false teacher? And how do we spot in ourselves, in our own faith journeys, when we have begun to believe things that are untrue? How can we keep ourselves in line with the word of God. I'm sitting here as a relatively recent Bible college graduate. I have limited life experience and every time I come up here, I'm just trying to do my best to share something with you that's true. And every time I've written a sermon for this church, I have had the thought that like, I really hope that what I'm saying here is actually true and right. I know the basics, but sometimes, in a in a 25-30 minute message, you're gonna go a few places, and uh, I just hope all those places that I go are gonna be in line with Scripture. And so I, I just have to pray to God and say, like, I hope that this is good. I hope that you're actually leading me and that that your Spirit is speaking through me because I only know so much. I've only lived so much, I've only seen so much. And so God, like, would you just help me? I I really wanna take this task seriously. And it, it's not that one day I'm, I'm scared I'm gonna look and go like, oops, this sermon is completely heretical, but I don't want it to be 90% right. I don't wanna it to be 95% right. I want it to be 100% accurate and faithful to the word of God. And for all of us, when we read the Bible, is that our desire. They would go, you know, I want I want what I take out of this to be 100% faithful to what God would be saying to me. I don't want to be 90% right about what I read in the Bible. I don't want to be 90% right about what I what I hear from God when I pray. I want to be 100% right. I want to really know and understand God. I want to really know and understand his word. And when I talk to people I really wanna be right about what what I'm hearing from God. He's gonna guide us and he's gonna kinda of gently corral us into truth. But I, I just wanna talk about some simple application points that Jude gives. He talks a lot about false teachers and he goes through um, who they're reflecting in the Old Testament. He talks about their similarities to like Cain and Sodom and Gomorrah and these, these sinful people that we see in the Old Testament. And he's like, but like they've already been dealt with. God knows what he's gonna do with them. Their, Their judgment has been secured. But for you people who are trying to be faithful, here's what I want you to do. Verses 20, 21. How do we respond to a false teacher, to false teaching, to false beliefs in our own life? Verse 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. So weirdly enough, Jude, he spends this whole letter talking about false teachers. He doesn't really say how to deal with them. He doesn't say, this is the church discipline procedure. He doesn't say, this is how you call out a false teacher. No, he just, he goes on and on about why these teachers are bad and what they're like. And when he tells us what to do, he he just gives us four things that don't have anything to do with false teachers. And he says, build yourselves up, pray in the Holy Spirit, Essentially, abide in God's love and wait for his mercy. It's not like, oh, do this and this and this. It's just simply fortify your own faith, build yourselves up, love God, pray and wait for Jesus to return. So when we talk about our faith journey, when we talk about how life is so complicated and there's things that are gonna change us, they're gonna change how we look at the world, we're gonna experience wins and losses all throughout our life. The four things we have to remember to continue to build ourselves up, pray in the Holy Spirit, abide in God's love and wait for his mercy. Jude could have given a whole bunch of prescriptions for what to do. He could have given um, some really specific things to do for a false teacher in the church. He doesn't do any of that. And he just encourages the church to remain faithful. Defend your faith by building yourself up so that when things come, you're grounded. You always have something to hold on to. You're gonna to continue to pray in the spirit and abide in the love of a father. And God's gonna work it out. Part of the beautiful thing with having faith is that we don't need to be so, so concerned about um, getting every single thing right. We want to, we wanna do our best to be faithful to the word of God, to live without sin, flee from sin. But we don't need to be so, so worried that those little things that we do, that we're not 100% sure about those little moments where we, where we don't live up to the expectation, we can just be so grateful that God actually provides grace for that. And that we're actually going to be transformed just by by when we mess up so that we can say like, you know what, I'm getting back on it. I'm, I'm picking myself up. I'm accepting that God forgives me. I'm gonna do better next time because this grace that I've experienced is so good. It's so wonderful. And I'm just gonna keep pursuing God because he pursued me first. He made a way for me to know him first. And I just wanna live my life for him. So friends, worry less. Jesus told us we don't really have to worry. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. But when we know him, when we know his word, when we have accepted that Jesus died and he rose again, that he's returning. We don't have to worry so much about the security of our faith, our our standing with God. God loves you. God cares about you. God is working for you. He sent his son to die for you, and that work is done. So you just need to build yourself up, continue to believe that, strengthen your beliefs in what Jesus has done. Continue to get into the word. Join a church. Be part of a faith community. Continue to pray in the Holy Spirit. Abide in the love of God and wait for his mercy. Um, It's the last Sunday of the month. And I think one really important thing is that Jude assumed he was writing to a community. He knew he was writing to a church. And I love church. I think it's beautiful. I think it's one of the most beautiful things on the planet that people would come together with the intention that they're going to show justice and mercy and be faithful to the word of God here on earth. And one thing that Jude talks about with these false teachers is that they would come to the table, to the communion table, to the table of the Lord's Supper, and they would take more than what they deserved. They would steal from the mouths of the poor to satisfy their own desires. What's beautiful is that the church is around a table. And we're going to call it injustice at the table. But today is communion Sunday where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so no matter where you're watching this from, um, I want you to know that you can have community with us today. And so I have some emblems here and we are going to just celebrate communion and uh, and we're going to take it together. So today I hope you can find something around your house to take communion with us. And uh, I've got mine right here. And so we are going to look at 1 Corinthians 11. Paul wrote that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together right now. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's share the cup together today. Well, friends, I hope that this message helped you today. And uh, wherever you're watching this from, we're just so glad that you would join us And I hope that this message encouraged you today, that on your own journey of faith, that you're encouraged again to once again build up your faith, pray in the spirit, abide in God's love, and wait for his mercy. And that you will continue to fight the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and stay true to what God would have us believe. Thank you for joining us. God bless you and i hope you we'll see you next week